every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd. He's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. For our conversation today, I'll be drinking a beer my wife and I fell in love with on a family vacation in Vermont. Lawson's Sip of Sunshine became an easy favorite of ours. And while Lawson's Tap Room is located in Vermont, it's actually brewed in Connecticut. John doesn't drink beer. He certainly does enjoy bourbon. So today, John's going to be drinking one of his favorites, an old-fashioned on the rocks made with Basil's Hayden bourbon. John, welcome to the podcast and cheers. Thanks. Cheers. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your business first. So tell me a little bit about your business as it, as it is today. Sure. So B&H uh, Insurance, otherwise we, we refer to ourselves as BHI. Uh, we've been in business you know, with under the previous ownership uh, since 1974. Uh, I joined the firm in 2006, became a partner in 2010, bought out the other uh, stockholders in 2016. And that's when we rebranded the organization and really went from just being a property and casualty insurance brokerage uh, to really be more of a consulting and advisory firm where we're doing the employee benefits. Uh, we have HR consultants on staff, a safety consultant on staff, 401k management now in-house. So we're really trying to broaden our horizons and do more for our existing clients while we also try to acquire new clients as well. Uh, We are located in Newark, Delaware. We also have an office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Uh, 28 employees. We've, you know, we've been, we've been growing substantially um, and it's been a, it's been a fun ride. That's great. Obviously I know you a little bit. So your background is one of the more fascinating uh, backgrounds of anyone that I talked to. So tell us a little bit about how you ended up, about your background and how you ended up owning the company. Yeah, it's been an interesting one. So um, all I ever wanted to do growing up was be a professional wrestler. We didn't have cable. So like we watched wrestling, that's what we did, right? (laughs) And uh, everybody thought I was a little nuts for that. And they're probably somewhat correct. Uh, But yeah, I, I had the normal Delaware life, went to public school through Delaware like everybody ended up at University of Delaware. I had every intentions of playing football there. Few injuries, two surgeries, and I kind of gave up that dream. So I, I took a medical leave from University of Delaware, which <laughs> meant I went on spring break. I didn't go anywhere. I just went on spring break and never went back other than to get myself. Um, and then I, uh, you know, I got introduced to actually a, a local wrestling promoter. Um, I, I had done, uh, tough enough on MTV, which was like the real world meets professional wrestling in 2001 and made it to the top 25 of that. And I figured, you know, what the heck, let's, let's go, go with this. So I started doing that. Um, I actually travel up and down the East coast. Uh, actually at one point made it to a, at a WWE tryout camp and really decided that that wasn't the route that I wanted to go after hearing a, uh, actually a former WWE wrestler who was then a producer, talking about how he's had all kinds of tax issues. He's on the road so much, two of his daughters won't even speak to him anymore. Wow. Um, and growing up without really a close relationship with my family, I, I certainly didn't want to have children and then not be in their lives. So I went back to school. I ended up at Wilmington University. It was Wilmington College back then. Switched majors, majors went from uh, exercise physiology at University of Delaware, 
uh, switched over into the business department. It was a marketing and finance major there. And then that's when I was introduced. Uh, I actually had my first job interview at what was then Bram Hall and Hitchin Insurance at a bar, of course, because <laughs> I was a bartender and a bouncer and that's what we did. So I, I had my interview, wore a really nice leather jacket because at that point, that's what I thought you wore to a job interview. <laughs> Very my professional. Profession, yeah, my professional <laughs> experience before that, I worked at bars and I worked at Foot Locker for three weeks and I worked at Rapper and Shoes when I had a surgery and couldn't work at a bar anymore. So uh, that, that was the extent of my professional experience. Uh, so I started there and uh, after probably about a year, I realized that what I was paying for with college was never going to make me another penny. So I dropped out again. So I'm a two-time college dropout, but I always add that I was on the Dean's list before I dropped out. So I, well, that's encouraging. Yeah. I wasn't a bad <laughs> student. I just, uh, I didn't like being told what to learn. Yeah. I wanted right. to learn what I want to learn. And, um, you know, it's something that I do a lot of educational stuff in my business now, but it's because I actually, it, it betters me with what I do in my career um, for my clients, myself, the other employees, but I'm not being told what to do. Right. So, I, I mean, obviously I have to ask this question. What was your uh, wrestling name? Oh, well, starting in high school, that's when I, that we, we had our own like little faction through high school. And that's when I was just simply Johnny body. Um, that was you know, very creative. <laughs> um, from there, I actually, my, uh, my old barber, I don't really need a barber anymore, but when I needed a barber. I can barely walk without getting hurt anymore, but they used to always say I was a freak of nature. I, one of my tricks when I was working at the bar, people would bet me that I couldn't vertically leap onto a bar. So he, he was a freak of nature. So they called me freak nasty, but with two T's because I was twice as nasty and it stuck. And it just, it just so happened. One of the guys that worked at the bar with us, had a license plate, uh, an old vanity license plate, wasn't registered anymore, that was nasty with two Ts. That's amazing. So I drove around in a beat-up Nissan Xterra with nasty on the front license plate. Probably surprised I didn't get a ticket for it because it was, it was expired in like the 90s. Right. Um, but it, uh, it stuck with me. And, uh, you know, that's, that was, <laughs> I carried that name for many years. And I think a lot of people still call it to me, you know, friends that I knew from back in the day, that's, I think, hey, nasty, what's up? I That's so great. I laugh about it. So you actually interned at Bramall and Hitchens before you became a top salesperson. So to sort of walk us through your progression through from intern to ending up buying the company and how that worked. So at that time, the organization was really small. I was our seventh employee. And they had never hired somebody new to insurance. Really, you know, it was, it was a family business. The growth was really it had a couple small acquisitions and that's how they had grown, but they had never really sought out organic growth. They had never hired somebody that had no insurance experience. So when we, you know, again, my interview over margaritas, um, the idea was, well, look, why don't you come on part-time? You've never really worked in a professional setting. We've never hired somebody that hasn't worked in a professional setting and isn't licensed, doesn't know insurance. Right. So uh, I was allowed to work. I worked two three-hour shifts um, a week So my, my, for eight bucks an hour. So my, my biweekly paychecks were like $72. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I was, I was swimming in the money back then. Yeah. Uh, I worked, I think I had five jobs at, the, at one time uh, and, and went to school and coached high school football. So pretty busy schedule back then. So I did that for 
I started in March of 2006. I did that. And then in July, uh, I got licensed. Uh, they allowed me to then work three, three hour shifts a week. So I was up to nine hours. So, uh, you know, again, I b- probably bought huge. a car at that time. Yeah, yeah. huge. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was able to get something else pointless. And then come September, I went full time. So basically for six months, I was a part time employee. Uh, working, you know, six hours and then nine hours. And then I went right from that to working 40 hours, gave up most of my second, third, fourth, and fifth job at bar. I still bartended a little bit to make ends meet. Um, cause I didn't make a lot. You know, I was making $20,000 a year as a sure. full-time professional. So from there, I just worked. I saw the opportunity. It was, it was something, I think it's a, anybody that's in any type of sales function realizes that they really control their own destiny. You never have to go and this is what my now former boss and partner, you know, really was selling on is that you'll never have to come ask me for a raise. You give yourself a raise. Interesting. Um, and so I just, I dove head in. I probably varied from working 70 to 90 hours a week. A lot of the time, right. Uh, work at the office. I'd come home, I'd work. I'd right before bed, I'd work again, just prospecting, researching clients to, to call. So from there I, I, I did very well. And, uh, Again, my former partner and, and, and boss had, uh, they had he, his model was to have an owner producer agency where once you got to a certain level of sales, you would trade your interest in your own book for some interest in, in the firm. Okay. Um, I think it was something that was meant to be a motivator. I don't think he expected it to happen as quickly as it did because sure. 2010 comes around. So I've, I've basically 2006 was a wash. I really started full time in the commercial sales of it in 2007. So seven, eight, nine, three and a half years in, I had hit the levels that he was requiring. So, you know, he was, he was a man of his word and I, I went in and signed on, signed the shareholders agreement, got my nice stock certificate for 2% of the company and turned it over and handed it to the bank because the same day we bought the building that we're still in today. So oh, wow. I literally had my stock certificate for maybe a minute. <laughs> this, this is cool. Then, this business ownership thing's great. Yeah. Loan officers like, here, give me that. It's mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was in 2010. And then from 2010, really through probably 2014, I, I had negotiated, you know, and, and, and bought in at one point for additional stock up to 20% ownership in the firm. And then in, I don't know, middle of 2015, I, I kind of hit that point where I felt that, you know, I was at that time, I owned 20% of the company, but I accounted for about 43% of our revenue. It was clear that I was eventually going to be the, I was the succession plan. There right. wasn't really much of an out, outside succession plan. Um, selling the business to an outside party wasn't going to work because I had negotiated out my non-compete and my non-solicitation. So I certainly wasn't going to work for somebody else. Right. Um, and if you got, if you lost 43% of the revenue, you're not worth that much in a sale. So, uh, you know, we, we had discussions and it moved very rapidly. It went from buying some more of the company to, well, the uh, accountant that was helping, you know, work out the deal was, you know, John, if you can buy the entire company, would you buy it? Yeah, Absolutely. Pose it to, to my former boss. If, if John can buy the entire company, will you sell it? So we did that. So on, it was on leap day of 2016. So February 29th, I uh, signed away everything I've, I've worked for. I signed away my house, all my bank, all that stuff and bought hundred percent of the company. Wow. That's amazing. So it seems to me that uh, you never set out to 
own a business, but you just kept betting on yourself as, do you see yourself as an entrepreneur or do you see yourself more as someone that's willing to bet on themselves? You know, I would say in hindsight, there, there probably is some entrepreneur in me. Um, But at the time it was never about starting my own business. I don't care about my name being on the wall or being on the building. That's, that's not something that motivates me. Uh, It's really about, like you said, betting on myself, controlling my own destiny. Um, and that's, in a way, that's what owning the business does. So while it wasn't something that I set out to do, it works very well because I'll always bet on myself. I'll, you know, I always had this wacky thought that I, I had a certain amount of money that I was going to make by the time I was 30. Right. And people were like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I, I really had, you know, outside of the, you know, this pipe dream of being a pro wrestler, I didn't have this. I want to be a lawyer. I didn't want to be a doctor. I want to, I had no idea. I didn't know insurance was a thing. Sure. You know, outside of like your auto insurance, I didn't even think about it. So, right. but I just, I just had this desire. Um, like I said, I've been trying to prove my eighth grade principal wrong for 30 plus years now. You said I'd never amount to anything. So it's always been that motivator <laughs> that I wasn't sure what the hell I was going to do, but I was going to do it. So, you know, I inadvertently became an entrepreneur. That's amazing. So that's, you know, I'm sure many, many people have read that book, The E-Myth, where you don't set out to be an entrepreneur. You just end up saying like, hey, I work this, at this place. I feel like I could do this better. And I'm willing to bet on myself and invest it all in myself. That seems yeah. like the path that you took. Well, I always say it, it's like uh, you don't go to a casino, give them your money, take the chips and then let somebody else play Right. You want to make your decisions. And look, if I want to hit on 16 or stay on 16, I'm going to, it's my money. If you don't want to play with me, leave the table. Yeah. So I, that's just kind of my mindset. I never hit on 16, by the way. Uh, um, <laughs> that's important. Supposed, I think that's really important. To, but I, I just don't think you should. <laughs> Mathematically, it doesn't work out. Um, but yeah, it was really just about betting on myself and, and having that control. Um, and I had a lot of freedom as a salesperson. Uh, I didn't have set hours. I could, I, there were no, there was no PTO time. I, I pretty much did whatever I wanted, which is why, honestly, I think I excelled at this company. Yeah. I sometimes wonder if I had gone and worked for a bank or someplace else that had a lot of that, you know, top-down management, if I would right. have succeeded. Sure. Um, and like and frankly, I, I, I don't think I would have. Yeah. Um, so I, I think being able to give, you know, giving me that freedom to really just uh, outwork the competition, it, it worked out well. Yeah, for sure. So obviously your background's fascinating, but, uh, and, and you've built a wildly successful company. So there's, it's not, it's not all roses all the way. So let's talk a little bit about what would, if you had to look back, what would you say your lowest point is of your professional uh, career? That's an easy one for me. And, and it's not only, it's one of the low points of my life, to be honest with you, is realizing that success and, you know, whether it's financial success or success in business, doesn't equal happiness. I had such tunnel vision on, again, I, I wanted to make X amount of money by the time I was 30. And I had tunnel vision that I ignored so many other issues in my life, so many issues with myself. But I just assumed that once I hit that point of being successful, and I, I use quote unquote, because I really didn't have a set definition of success. I just, I'm going to be successful. Right. Um, I was so busy trying to prove other people wrong. I was ignoring some glaring things. So I remember finally having to accept that I'm successful. I have success. I have the financial freedom. I I have everything that 
you would want and be considered successful. And, you know, I was in the middle of imploding my life at the same time. And it, it sure. was like, wow, not, not only is this not making everything better, but the realization that I now have it and it doesn't feel that good. Yeah. It, it was definitely something that, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people that are, I want to get into sales or I want to own a business. And it's always do it for the right reasons. Right. Um, if you're doing it just for the money side or the significance that you might feel, you're going to realize that, you know, they say it's lonely at the top. Kind of is from time to time. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of great things that come along with it. But without a doubt, it was that that realization that this dream that you've been chasing, this idea that, oh, I, once I get this, everything else is magically going to be fixed. Um, it's completely bogus. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that because, you know, you hear that theme a lot where people get to a certain point. They've put this goal, whether it be money or status or whatever, and they get there and they go, OK, well, now what? I don't really feel any different yeah. than I did yesterday. Mm -hmm. So that's a fascinating thing. So how do you handle that now? How do you stay content? I would say one of my probably best qualities and worst qualities, I would say I'm a walking, talking contradiction um, <laughs> is I don't know how to be complacent. Yeah. I don't really know how to be satisfied. And even though I've said it, it's, it's somewhat sad that the further I get into my career, winning excites me less and less. It's just almost that mindset of I'm supposed to win. Right. It's like when you score your first touchdown, you celebrate after your 10th touchdown, your coach says, act, act like, like you've been, been there before. Right. Yeah. Right. So I expect to win, whether yeah. it's you know, personally or professionally with, with the business. But losing sucks as much as it ever has. Yeah. So it seems like the highs are less high. The highs of winning are less high, but the lows are still still terrible. So. I've always said, you know, and I, I use it for myself and I, I use it with our, our salespeople employees now is that when you win, you get 24 hours to celebrate. When you lose, you get 24 hours to be pissed off. When you Great. come back tomorrow, it doesn't matter what you did, good or bad. It doesn't matter. Yep. I mean, if you do something bad enough, you're probably not coming back tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> right? You're, you're not going to get that. But the reality is, is, and it's not to say that we have a what have you done for me lately mentality. It's just that we can't be distracted by winning or losing. Yep. You have to, you know, it's it, it, same in sports, right? Oh, great. You won on Sunday. But you're playing somebody new next Sunday. Yep. Just because you won yesterday doesn't mean you're going to win next week. And just because you lost doesn't mean you're not going to win. So I think it's about having that. Again, I think so much in sports and, and professional world really um, kind of jive together. It's that you have to have that, that short mind that you're not going to spend too much time focusing on the past. Yeah. They always say uh, when they talk about a quarterback, if he's successful, they always say he's got a short memory. Mm -hmm. And I think they talk about that after he's thrown an interception or done something poorly. Uh, I actually totally agree with you. I, I think it makes sense to have a short memory on the upside as well as the downside too. So yeah. that, that's an interesting way to put it. So if, as you look back at your career, if you, could you point to a moment where you'd say that's the moment I'm most <clears> proud of? That's the thing I'm most proud of that I did. So it's interesting that I couldn't have answered this a year ago because I've, I've always kind of shied away from looking backwards. I always say a second you spend in the past is a second that you're not living now and moving forward. So I've always almost from like a robot. Like I just, I, I don't really look backwards. I don't, I don't believe in regrets. I've always said, unless you have a DeLorean and a flux capacitor, you can't change it. <laughs> So I focus on it anyway. Right. Uh, but for me, it was really 
it was actually this, it was back uh, earlier this year. Uh, you know, my daughter has uh, some, some speech issues, speech delay. She's, she's doing great, but uh, you know, I, I, I look back and she was in, a, in the public school system and they were doing the best with her, but she just wasn't progressing like we wanted to see. Right. Um, so we sent her to a very small, great private school that is just deals with kids with speech and language issues. And it's more expensive than most colleges. Sure. And she started there on a Monday. She couldn't, you know, say any letters or know any letter. It just, I would say she, she's like my buddy's uh, grandmother who was from Thailand you just, you didn't understand her. You knew what she's saying, but you didn't really uh, understand her. And by Friday she came home and she could spell her name. Oh, wow. And for me, that was the first time that I really sat back and said, wow, she can go to this school because I've worked and been successful and been around a lot of successful people that as a team we've succeeded. Yeah. Um, it's not all me. It's, it's as an organization, it's really allowed me. So it was the first time I really looked back you know, buying materialistic things never really made me look in the past. It's like, oh, you know, whatever, it's cool. But being able to to give that to my daughter where there's a lot of people that wouldn't have that ability. Right. It, without a doubt, the most rewarding moment probably of my life, to be honest with you. So that that was definitely, that's the moment for me. Oh, it's, that's great. To your point, objects are just one thing, you know, to be able to, to do that for for, your, for someone, let alone your daughter's gotta yeah, be incredible. It, it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty cool feeling. Cause again, I never really, I never thought about it. I never really looked at anything and not that I've never done anything nice or work right. with charities or do it. Just, it's never something that I've ever really looked behind me. It's always been our, right, what's next, what's next, what's next. And this was the, I, because it was my daughter and because it was so again, five days in the school and she's spelling her name after on Monday, she wouldn't have been able to tell a letter of her name. Right. It was that, that made me really think about it. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, you, you brought up something while you're telling that story about the team. So what have you done? What's the best way <laughs> in your opinion to build a winning culture or a pot? I know firsthand that your firm likes to have a good time and likes to celebrate mm. together. You know, you, you celebrate your achievements together. Uh, how do you, what, what kind of advice do you have on, on someone trying to build a winning culture for, for a firm? Um, definitely has to be authentic. Um, I, I think culture, you know, up until the last, you know, maybe at some larger banks that were focused on culture, before the last five years, but most smaller medium businesses, culture wasn't a thing. It was all results. So I think if you're going to really focus on culture, it has to be authentic. Mm -hmm. It can't be, Oh, well, this other organization is doing this kind of stuff. So let's replicate that. You can't replicate culture, right? Culture. Um, it's, it's hard to even define culture. Yeah. Right. If you have to really think about it, you don't have a good culture. Yep. So I think being authentic, I think it also has to be top down. I think the, the leader, so whether it's, you know, an owner of a business or a leader, the leadership team, depending on the size of the business, it, it really has to be driven from that leadership level. And then you have to hire the right people around it. So like we don't hire, well, I'm sorry, we never, we rarely hire anybody with insurance experience, which is the exact opposite of what most insurance agencies do. Yeah. Uh, and we do that because I can teach you insurance. I can't teach you to fit in with our culture. Mm-hmm. So we hire based on really that cultural fit. And he said, we, we believe very, very firmly in the work hard, play hard mentality. And if the leaders of the business leave at two o'clock every day, so not yeah. working too hard. And then they only celebrate with themselves and their friends and not actually with the team that's driving the success. 
nobody buys into it. So it goes back. I think to be authentic um, is very, very important to, to implement that culture because your yeah. culture, it, your culture is what it is. Yep. All the time that you're trying to define your culture, you don't realize the culture has already been defined in your organization. Sure. So you have to figure out, you know, those people that are setting the culture, which are going to be the leaders of the organization. If they want to change the culture, they need to change. Yeah. That, that's an interesting way to put it because it's very clear when you have poor culture, you know, you can oh, see absolutely. it's toxic environment. Everything's toxic and people are, it's just not a good place to be. And if you have, it, it really is a difficult thing to create a place where people actually want to hang out with each other after the workday. That's difficult to obtain. So I've always said that I, I don't know that any of our team, our employees will ever want to come to work as much as I do. But I, I, I never, the thought that any employee would ever, you know, really resent coming to work or wake up and say, I can't believe I'm going to work again. Yeah. You know, it was really cool when we, you know, we work, most, most people, I was at the office almost every day during, during the, you know, the COVID and the shutdown, but a lot of our employees were at home and mm-hmm. hearing from them that they couldn't wait to get back in the office. And as we started going to two, three days a week and now saying, Hey, come in as much as you're comfortable. Right. It's been really cool to see those sporadic, just random office happy hours. Sometimes they start at one. Yeah. Just things like that coming together and being able to seeing that the the team actually likes to be there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That's amazing. So, uh, you know, obviously running a business isn't the easiest thing in the world. And if you have to to look back at, at where you've come from, what do you think the most difficult part or the part that you like the least about running and owning a business is? I mean, I really, I love what I do. I love the control. Uh, I, I love, there's nothing I really don't like about running the business. I think the hardest thing, and I think so many people struggle with it is finding the work-life balance. Yep. Um, and the work-life balance is not that everybody doesn't struggle with that, but I've said this a couple of times and, and I'm not saying it to be a smart ass, but if our company folds, if we fail, every other employee goes and gets another job. Maybe they don't make as much money. Maybe they're not as happy, but they just go get another job. I lose everything. Mm-hmm. So tr- to, to sit there and say, oh, it's Saturday, don't work. Or it's, you know, we're on vacation, don't look at your phone. It's not that simple when you have you know, everything riding on it. So um, I'm very passionate about really and everything I do, but really passionate about this business. So I'm, I'm terrible at shutting it down. Yeah. Uh, I will wake up anytime we hire, you know, our, our whole leadership is pretty much new over the last couple of years. And I've told them, you're going to get emails from me at two, three in the morning, because I'm going to wake up and I'm going to think about things that I don't feel, you don't need to respond to me, but you're going to get those emails. Yeah. I think about things randomly. It, it's something that is always on my mind. And with, with two small kids, sometimes you feel guilty about that. Sure. Um, you know, I bought an Apple watch purely. So when I get home from work, I can put my phone away, but I can have my watch on me so I can still monitor if somebody calls me or if somebody emails me, if it's important, really important important to me, I can go handle it. But, um, and I will. And and I think that's, you know, although I've, I've never missed a school event, I've never missed a sporting event and I never will. I know that there are going to be inconveniences and there have been, and there will continue to be with my family life while I'm on vacation. Um, so that's, that's a challenging part, but it's a part of it that I, I enjoy the fact that my clients say over and over and over again, 
we love that we can get in, get in touch with you whenever, whenever. Yeah. And text, you text me at 5am and guess what? I'm up. Guess what? I'm up. (laughs) Uh, You can call me on a weekend. You're going to hear back from me. And I think with what I do, I've always said, when one of my clients are having their worst days, that means a building is burning down. Right. There was a fatality on a job site, sure. a major car accident. Mm-hmm. When they need me the most, they don't want to hear that. I'll respond to you when I'm done playing golf today, or I'm sorry, I'm on vacation. Somebody else will deal with this. They don't want to hear that. They yep. want to deal with me. Yep. Um, at least that's how I look at it. So I take a great deal in pride of, you know, what I do and how I do it. And I think it's important, but I feel guilty about it a lot. Sure. That, I think that's the flip side to, uh, when you bet on yourself, that's the, you can't, you, you're constantly betting on yourself and you don't yeah. want to let people down. So I think that that is a flip side to that. Well, you bring up another interesting point, obviously, where when you own a company being present, especially with your family is difficult. Yeah. So how do you maintain, I mean, you're, you're divorced with two young kids. How do you maintain the, the work-life balance? Um, I, well, it's the, really, I would say that my, my two, priorities, top priorities are my kids and the business. And the kids are so far ahead of, ahead of everything else. So it means that, you know, I've gotten a lot better that, you know, we're, they're with me every other day. Well, really every day, because either at night or in the morning. Um, so when they're there, I try to be as present as possible. That doesn't mean that I don't have a call that I need to take. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can deal with that because I understand that me doing that allows us to have a pretty cool life. And, they understand it as well, but I, I never, I never miss anything. I'll never not go to a sporting event in the summers. I don't work on, well, I don't work in the office on Fridays. Or I don't have appointments on Fridays. We go down to our place at the beach every Friday in the morning, we go down for the weekend and yeah, I may have my iPad on the beach doing some work while they're playing around, but right. still there, they still see me there. So it, it's, it is a struggle, but it, I think it's something that I'll, I'll never put anything before my children. And I always, I preach that to our employees all the time that don't ever come ask if you can leave early to go to a lacrosse game. Don't ever you go. Now, when you get home tonight, look at your email, make sure our clients didn't need anything or get somebody to check your, are we, we still have to take care of our clients, but if somebody, I would be furious if anybody on our team ever put work before their family. Right. I mean, again, you go back to the winning culture part of it. Yeah. So if, uh, if you have to give advice to a young person that's considering starting a business or breaking out from their, where they work now to do whatever they do on their own, what, what, what kind of advice would you give to them? I would say it would be very similar. And I don't like, I'm not huge on giving unsolicited advice, uh, but I think it's very similar to people that are considering having children. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, if you're just considering it and you're not gung ho about doing it, don't do it. Huh. It That's is an interesting analogy. It is harder. But perfect. It is harder than anything you will ever imagine. Both of them, right? Yeah. You have three kids. It's not. It seems great. I always think one of the biggest omissions in this world is that we don't tell people that are about to have their first child how terrible it is, <laughs> right? We, we talk about, oh, it's so great. No, it's terrible sometimes. You're not sleeping. The baby, you're like, you don't pay taxes. You don't have to go to work. Why are you crying? It's, yeah. it's incredibly challenging. So 
I, I, if you are not ready to do it, don't do it. And then it's, it's like anything it's, it's managing the highs and the lows. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, how many times, you know, when, when your kids were young, did you think they just weren't breathing anymore when they were asleep? Crazy. Right? Like, it's, it's, you have the infancy stage of a business, just like you have the infancy stage with, with, with children where everything seems so, everything is a priority. Everything is major. And then as the business matures or as your kids get older, you know, when my eight year old falls, it's like, all right, dude, get back up. Yeah. You know, it's not like when they're six months old and they fall and you're rushing to AI to get them x-rayed. You're like, right. Exactly. You're fine. Brush it off. You're good. So I think it's, it's very similar, but I I think it's, it really is. If you're going to go into business and you're going to bet on yourself, be certain that that bet, you know, don't, if, if you think you can, if you think you can succeed, keep working for somebody else, start your business when you know you can succeed. If you're all, if you're not all in, then you're all out. That's yeah. what it sounds like you're saying. That makes it, that yeah, makes a ton of sense. You can't kind of run a business. Right. The, the, the risk is there. I mean, it, there's too much risk that if you, if you make a bad decision, especially when you're starting out, you're gone. Yeah. You, you're done. You can't, uh, it, it's just, it's, you know, when I bought the company, CPA said, can you, can you live on half of what you're making right now? And I'm like, all right, I need to think about this. Cause it's right. not saying, Hey, you're going to take a 3% pay cut. Can you live on half of what you make right now? I'm like, yeah. all right, I need, I need to do some numbers. I need to crunch some numbers to know whether I can take this risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously for me, it was like, yeah, I don't want to live on half of what I make, but I can, and I will make, you know, my goal is to never have to do that, but that sure. was the risk associated with it. Yeah. It, that makes a ton of sense. And it, it is interesting when you become a business owner and you're the last person that gets paid every month, every month, you're the last bill. If there's yeah. money left over, you get some. So, yeah. so final question again, I, I appreciate your time. This was a great conversation. What you've built this literally from being freak nasty to with two now, T's with two T's uh, <clears throat> to now, you know, running a very successful insurance business. What's your end game for the business? What would you like to see happen? Oh, what would I like to see happen? Uh, I'm not, I'm not letting my kids have it. That's for sure. I can tell you what's not going to happen. Um, I don't know. It's something that I, I think about a lot. Um, I'm 38 years old. I don't have any hobbies. You've played golf with me. It's not something I could do every day. I have no <laughs> golf clubs, uh, and I may torch the core. So <clears throat> my hobbies are, are, are working uh, and, and playing with my kids. So, you know, I look at it that when my, you know, when my kids, I always say when my, my daughter's my youngest. So when she turns 18, she'll either be going to college or prison. And at that <laughs> point, I'll be 50 years old. And I, I think that's when I'll really start to think about that right now. I have fun going to work every day. I'm still incredibly driven. I love the people I, I work with some of my best friends. Yeah. Uh, so I never feel like I'm, I never begrudgingly go to work. I can't wait to get to work. There's a lot of times that I'm sad on Fridays and happy on Mondays and, mm. and it's, it's twisted, but uh, so I, I wouldn't want to want to change that. You know, if Jeff Bezos came in and said, here's a billion bucks, we want to buy you. Where do I sign? Right. Yeah. Um, and there is, there's a lot of private equity uh, money buying up insurance agencies. Um, so it's not, you know, we get calls all the time, uh, but it's not something that I'm really interested in doing because I'm having too much fun. And there's nothing that I could transition into to have as much fun. I certainly couldn't sell the agency and then work for whoever bought me. Right. That 
that that's, would, I'd rather play golf every day than do that. Um, <laughs> that's a bold statement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's nothing else I, I really enjoy doing. So I certainly couldn't be a teacher and teach my kids. I, I, that wouldn't go well either. So I, I really think it's continue to grow the company organically and, and keep betting grow. on yourself. Keep betting on myself. We have such a great team that, you know, like I said, I don't work Fridays in the summer. Uh, when the kids are back in school, I take a half day every Friday. I always pick them up from school Friday and we go do fun things. And I can do that. I may have some client issues that I have to deal with, but I'll always have that. Right. But I don't have, you know, I have such a great team that I don't have to worry about the business issues. I don't have to worry about running the business on those Fridays that I'm not in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm having a lot of fun doing it. We've been incredibly successful. Why, why stop? Yep. That's great. Well, thanks so much for your time today. I, I really enjoyed it. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about John's company, B&H Insurance, and how they do insurance differently, visit his website at bhi365.com. John, thanks again. Cheers. Thanks, Brian. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share a beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC.